Everybody. Welcome to a new episode of Lateral Conversations. My name is Thomas Mark. Today I have a very special treat for you. My guest is Dr. Rick Stressman. Rick is the leading expert in DMT research. He's also a book author. He wrote DMT, the spirit molecule, and DMT, the soul of prophecy, a book in which he correlates the DMT experience with a special type of spiritual experience, uh, the state of prophecy from the Hebrew Bible, uh, to be more specific. So we are talking a lot about his insights, about his model, about his research, about the uh, spiritual and evolution evolutionary purpose of the DMT experience. Um, I hope you will enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Um, before we come to that, I would like to thank everybody who supported this podcast with the Amazon affiliate link at the side. Somebody I know who uh, bought a Dyson vacuum cleaner for near, nearly 200 bucks. Thank you very much for this. Uh, another way to support this podcast is uh, the Patreon link, um, where you can pledge some money. Um, I'm always very grateful for this. Um, you can find, last but not least, this podcast now also at iTunes. So just look for Letter Conversations and you will find all the episodes there. Um so, without further ado, this is my conversation with Rick Strassman. I hope you will enjoy it. Um, I wish you all the best, and I hope we hear each other next week. Rick, thank you for joining me in my podcast. Um, from where are you calling? Uh, well, I'm in Gallup, New Mexico, uh, near the Arizona border. Ah, New, New Mexico. Uh, the western part of the state. Oh, okay. Isn't that where this uh, Santa Fe, is that where? Um, well, Santa Fe is in New Mexico. It's hmm. about a three-hour drive from okay. here, three and a quarters. Okay. A quick word to, to you and your work. You're, you're a medical doctor and you were the one who led a, a government-approved research project about DMT, which led to your book, uh, DMT and the Spirit Molecule. And then you released uh, last year uh, a follow-up to that book, DMT and the Soul of Prophecy. So just for German listeners, what, what is DMT and why, why do you call it the, the spirit molecule? Um, well, uh, so DMT stands for dimethyltryptamine. Mm. Um, 
uh, it's a you know, relatively simple compound, not much larger than a sugar molecule. Um, and um, it's a very powerful psychedelic drug, which is found in hundreds, if not thousands, of plants, and also was discovered um, in human body fluids and tissues in the 1960s. Um, and I was, and I was led to looking at DMT uh, because I was interested in. Um, determining the biological bases of spiritual experience. Okay. Uh, things which might occur from prayer, from fasting, from, um, you know, from meditation, uh, from near-death experiences. Um, I began looking at the pineal gland, which about, about which not much was known in the early 1980s <clears throat> uh, once I completed my research training. Um, and I looked at melatonin, uh, which is the primary pineal hormone, uh, because um, there were some preliminary data suggesting it was, you know, psychedelic. Uh, and because of the esoteric significance of the pineal, um, I thought if the pineal, um, you know, if the pineal, you know, product melatonin was, you know, psychedelic, uh, and it increased, for example, during spiritual experiences, then... Um, you know that would help explain the occurrence of such states. Mm. Um, you know, but we gave a lot of melatonin to people, and it wasn't especially, uh, you know, psychoactive. You know, primarily it was you know sedating. Um, so by that time, okay. I'd learned about DMT, mm. um, and it had been used in previous human studies and was quite psychedelic. Um, and because of its being naturally produced in the human being, it you know seemed like a more you know suitable candidate for a naturally occurring um, you know compound which had spiritual properties. So I, as a result, uh, worked on and got permission and you know funding mm. from the U.S. government to look at DMT. Well, um, you know th uh, uh, the project you know was mostly. Uh, well, it, it was you know solely intended um, as a you know psychopharmacology study, you know not necessarily to look at uh, spiritual experience okay. as such. Uh, but your background was you were a practicing Zen Buddhist, no? So that was your uh, personal interest in the thing to uh, find um, uh, anatomical equivalent to the spiritual experience. Right, right. Um, and the spiritual, you know, template or scaffolding or perspective that I had brought to bear um, on the spiritual, you know, questions that I believed my study would raise, um, you know, they were, as you mentioned, uh, you know, kind of steeped in the Zen Buddhist, mm. uh, you know, tradition, which I'd been studying and, you know, practicing for almost 20 years, you know, by the time I began the study. Mm. So that combined with your with your work as a medical doctor, you got approval to study the drug, which was discovered in the 1960s. Uh huh. Well, so DMT was first, you know, synthesized in a lab in the 1930s, mm. but uh, you know, wasn't really, you know, it it was just, um, you know, one of a number of you know compounds in a you know series of you know tryptamine analogs. After it was you know synthesized, it was just you know put on the shelf. Um, but then maybe 10 years later, you know DMT was discovered in uh, 
in plants from Latin America that were being used for their psychoactive properties. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, then, you know, pure DMT was discovered to be psychedelic in the 1950s oh, okay. mm. um, in Budapest. And uh, maybe 10 years after that, it was discovered in the body fluids and, you know, tissues of mammals, including mm. humans. Yes, so that began a number of studies that were um, attempting, you know, to relate the presence of DMT to mental illness, uh, in particular psychosis and schizophrenia. Hmm. Um, you know, nobody was, you know, looking at it as a you know, possible explanation for more, you know, prized kinds of altered states of consciousness which hmm. occurred naturally, hmm. you know, like mysticism or spiritual experience. Yes. Yeah, I, I would suspect that from a biological viewpoint, that if you have a spiritual experience, that there must be an occurrence in the nervous system or in, uh, in the body in, in some way. Right. And, you know, I started off with this, you know, notion uh, as an undergraduate, you know, that there you know, must be some common underlying, you know, biological, uh, you know, processes mm. uh, which occurred in as a response to you know as a response to you know taking psychedelics mm. and in response to practicing particular kinds of meditation um, you know to the extent you know that the two you know sets of experiences resembled each other um, and if you look at descriptions of this psychedelic drug state and descriptions of the effects of certain kinds of meditation in Eastern religious, you know, texts. Uh, there's quite a bit of overlap, and oh. I was really struck by that, mm. and uh, you know, that began me on my search. Mm. So, what exactly is, uh, happens when uh, when you take uh, DMT or got injected with DMT, like you did in your research? Yeah. Um, well, the first, you know, research studies, you know, focused on giving DMT intramuscularly. You know, there were one or two studies giving it intravenously, but that seemed kind of dangerous. Or at, you know, at least, you know, there were some, you know, side effects giving it intravenously. Hmm. Um, you know, once, you know, DMT, you know, kind of escaped the laboratory and was used recreationally, um, it, it was, you know, vaporized in the free base, you know, form and inhaled. You know, it's, you know, that's what's called smoking DMT, but, you know, more accurately, it's called, you know, vaporizing DMT mm. and, you know, then inhaling the vapors. Um, you know, so in my study, I was being, you know, funded by the National Institute on Drug Abuse. And, uh, you know, therefore, I needed, you know, to replicate the abused way of using DMT, mm. um, which was the smoked route. Uh, but smoking a you know drug on a research unit was problematic, so uh, I began with a couple of well, I began with one volunteer um, who had smoked DMT previously and gave him the drug intramuscularly mm -hmm. um, in order for him to com you know to compare the quality and the time course of the experience, mm -hmm. um, and he described the intramuscular way of giving it as slower longer and you know not as intense as the smoked route. Oh, okay. Mm. You know, so we then, you know, decided 
to opt, you know, for the intravenous route, uh, which, you know, was, you know, safe, you know, physically, um, and then more closely approximated the smoked route. So DMT, and it's called a class A drug, so normally it's prohibited, it's forbidden to, to use it by the law in the United States and most countries on our planet. Yeah, it's placed in what's called the, the you know, schedule, you know, one Mm. Uh, in uh, the U.S., which uh, oh, okay. mm. is reserved for uh, you know substances which have got you know uh, which you know cannot be used you know safely even under uh, even under medical supervision mm. um, are highly abusable and have got uh, you know no known medical use. You know those are the three criteria. Okay. So again, what does happen when you give a, a client, a patient, or a test subject? DMT and how was the mind changing? Yeah, um, yeah. When you give intravenous DMT, the effects begin within a couple of heartbeats. Actually, it's remarkably rapid in its onset. Um, and uh, the first thing that you know that you know people notice is a you know feeling of inner pressure and acceleration, inner tension and acceleration. Um, which then, uh, and also, you know, there's a sound which, you know, sometimes uh, will accompany what the volunteers called the rush, hmm. um, you know, like a, a uh, you know, high-pitched, you know, crackling or even kind of a, you know, wah-wah kind of sound, which, you know, uh, be became increasingly intense and, um, and louder um, up, you know, to the point of the uh, you know separation uh, of the mind from the body, or at least you know seemingly so. Uh, you know there are visual changes which occur early on the first 15 to 30 seconds. Um, <clears throat> if you know somebody keeps their eyes open, you know the room is overlaid with uh, you know geometric, you know kaleidoscopic, you know rapidly moving uh, you know visual patterns. Oh, okay. Um, and if you have your eyes closed, you know, during the rush, you know, the colors and the forms and the visions, you know, the kaleidoscopic, you know, geometric visions are even more intense. Um, and uh, with and with, within about a minute or so, maybe even less, uh, with the higher doses of the drug, one feels as if, uh, you know, the you know, body is unable, to, you know, to contain the intensity of the experience and there's a you know separation of consciousness from the body and you know then one enters into a world of light which is you know where all of the action takes place what I, what I was asking myself if these subjective realities you are encounter with higher doses of DMT what what is their nature is it um, is it like a hallucination uh, caused by in, in the form of intoxication or is it uh, is it something which tells you something about the architecture of the human mind? Or does it tell you something about the, uh, uh, the true nature of our reality? Or is it something beyond our normal understanding of, of what spirit and, and, and world is? is what, what, how would you interpret uh, these experiences, these subjective realities? Um, well, you're asking, uh, I think, three different questions there. Okay. Um, you know, one of them is, you know, the nature 
of you know the DMT you know world or the DMT experience. You know the other is you know the mechanisms of action. You know how does you know this actually take place? And the third question is you know what does it mean about uh, human consciousness, our okay. place in the cosmos, of our relationships? Hmm. Uh, you know to that. Um, you know so um, I'm happy to you know begin with you know the most uh, you know, non you know controversial, if one may call it that, uh, which is just a you know simple phenomenological description of the state. Okay. Um, you know, you, you know, most of the volunteers would not describe it as an intoxication uh, because you know their minds were quite clear. You know, they weren't confused. Uh, you know, you know, they were able to observe quite precisely and carefully the nature of the experience, its, you know, contents. And, you know, they maintained their, you know, sense of, you know, self. You know, they were able to interact with it willfully. You know, they could ask of it questions. They could receive answers, you know, to a certain extent. Um, you know, they retained a, you know, sense of individuality and control over themselves and their ability to interact, you know, make decisions those kinds of things, you know, so they wouldn't describe themselves as being, you know, stoned or intoxicated or out of it. Uh, you know, they were quite clear, you know, quite clear-headed, even, mm. uh, even though they, you know, found themselves in a completely, you know, novel environment. Um, well, um, you know, the state itself, you know, seems to be extremely visual, <clears throat> Uh, you know, made of light, as I mentioned earlier, uh, and you know, the, the light is more intensely, you know, saturated. The colors more vivid, you know, rapidly, you know, moving, you know, morphing, uh, you know, buzzing, uh, you know, quality, you know, to the light than anything encountered uh, in everyday reality or even in dreams. Um, and there also, you know, seemed to be quite a bit of intelligence or information that was contained uh, in that state. It was, you know, somewhat auditory. You know, there was a, uh, you know, sound early on. You know, sometimes there was uh, a spoken, you know, voice. You know, mostly the exchange of information occurred, you know, telepathically, um, you know, rather than through, you know, sounds themselves. Uh, you know, the feelings were, um, you know, all over the map, you know, mostly. Uh, in the beginning, people, you know, would be anxious just because of the speed of the transition. But, you know, most people had a meditation, uh, you know, practice and were able to, you know, calm themselves, you know, during that, you know, turbulent transition. Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, people, you know, describe an ecstatic, euphoric, blissful state. Um, a small number of people were terrified, um, and a you know significant number of you know people were just you know kind of calm, cool, and collected in that state. They weren't you know necessarily panicked. They weren't you know ne you know necessarily ecstatic. They were just kind of uh, you know you know they were kind of you know dis you know, passionately looking at what they had um, you know discovered or mm. been. Uh, you know, you know, or you know, presented with, you, uh, you know, so there were, you know, feelings, you know, perceptions, you know, there wasn't much of a body, you know, sensation, 
you know, people could interact with the state. And, you know, cognitively, you know, um, you know, they were, uh, you know, clear headed, you know, so, you know, so the most uh, striking qualities of the state were, you know, visual nature and, you know, the feeling of, of, um, of uh, an intelligence that was either, you know, lurking, you know, behind the visions or else would actually, you know, take, you know, some form in, you know, definitely discernible, um, you know, beings or entities or, you know, or, you know, some kind of objects mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, the volunteer, you know, could recognize and then begin interacting with. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So, all in all, there were aspects which led to your original thesis that these states or the states resembled states of enlightenment, descriptions what people uh, experience when they have a near-death experience. Uh, but as far as I understand, you developed a more differentiated thesis that these states resemble more a prophetic state uh, and not an empty state of consciousness, but, but in a way there is something, there is a form, there is maybe an intelligence, And in that way, DMT or the DMT state resembles the state uh, of our Christian prophets. Yeah, um, well, there were three, uh, you know, features of the DMT experience that uh, ultimately, you know, led me to a different, uh, you know, model uh, for understanding what was taking place. Um, you know, the spiritual uh, platform that I was standing on when I began the study was, you know, that of, you know, Zen Buddhism and, you know, the ultimate, you know, goal of, you know, Zen is enlightenment or, uh, you know, Kensho, you know, Satori experience, mm. um, which is uniformly described as the experience of emptiness. Uh, there's no form, you know, no body, no emotions, you know, no perceptions, you know, no thoughts, um, you know, no images, um, you know, so as opposed to that, the DMT experience was incredibly, you know, full of content. You know, there was, uh, you know, quite a bit of information and thinking. There were, you know, lots of, you know, visions and perceptions. Mm. Um, you know, there was the, you know, sense of self was maintained rather than, uh, you know, the union of the, you know, self with, uh, the ground of being, you know, the unification of one's, uh, you know, sense of self or, um, or, or one's ego with mm. uh, the white light. You, you know, that may have occurred in one of my volunteers uh, out of, you know, uh, out of nearly five dozen. Mm. Um, you know, so number one, the experience, you know, wasn't like an enlightenment experience at all. It was, uh, you know, much more interactive and relational, uh, you know, rather than, um, you know, what I call, you know, mystical or unitive. Mm. Um, one of the other, you know, qualities of uh, the DMT state was that the you know, volunteers, you know, came out of it uh, convinced that what they had just perceived was more, you know, real than everyday reality, you know, more real than dreams, you know, more real than their other, you know, druggy experiences, Uh, you know, more, you know, real than real in mm. a number of their descriptions. And and um, so that flew in the, you know, face 
of you know both the Buddhist model, which would uh, you know look at those experiences as you know mental, you know biological, you know neurological static on the mm. way you know towards the empty enlightened state. It also was inconsistent with my other two you know models, which I had brought to bear on the work, which were the you know psychoanalytic, mm. which you know looked at these you know visions and these voices as the expression of un, of, of unconscious you know conflicts and uh, impulses, mm. um, or you know the biological you know model, which just looked upon the visions and you know the voices as activation of certain you know, brain centers as a result hmm. um, of the DMT, you know, your brain on, on drugs, as it were. Um, you know, so those were the three, you know, well, 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 the interactive quality, you know, the fulsome quality, and the more, you know, real than real quality were all, you know, properties of the DMT state, which were different than the Buddhist enlightenment state. And you know, led me to start you know looking elsewhere for a spiritual model. Mm -hmm. So and then then you chose for different reason the prophetic state from from the Bible. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, you know, towards the end of my first DMT book, DMT: The Spirit Molecule, um, I you know kind of you know postulated some you know physical models uh, for the DMT effect. Um, and I kind of, you know, settled on uh, a uh, speculative model, which proposed that you know DMT modifies chemically the you know, receiving characteristics of the brain-mind mm. complex and allows one's uh, you know consciousness to you know peer into normally um, invisible you know, realms or, you know, layers of reality. For example, you know, dark matter is mm. one, you know, is one you know, possible, you know, location of what is perceived under the influence of DMT, you know, parallel universes, you know, those kinds of, you know, things which are ultimately going to be revealed through technology. Mm. But we, you know, might be getting a sneak preview <laughs> with by modifying the most you know, complicated, you know, technology of, you know, which is available, you know, to mm. us, which is the human brain. Mm. I, you know, but even if, you know, those, you know, mechanisms, you know, turn out to be true, uh, they still, you know, kind of leave unanswered a number of questions, you know, uh, and those questions are, you know, why would the brain be configured in that way? You know, why would the brain you know, why would, you know, DMT be a naturally occurring you know, substance in the human body? Yeah. I mean, also, I think, you know, I, I, and well, so also, you know, just as important is the you know, necessity of extracting information uh, from that state. Mm. You know, not necessarily you know, learning a new, you know, way to develop uh, um spacecraft engine or you know pollution free energy but you know how to live you know better lives you know mm. how to become you know wiser mm. you know, rather than 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 smarter um you know so i then began to you know, shift away from the scientific model um or you know you know the commonly uh, well the 
um, the commonly accepted scientific model um, for understanding these states uh, in, into the more religious one, mm. which, uh, you know, uh, which, which over, you know, the millennia well, has also um, been interested in states of consciousness which reveal things which are normally invisible. But, you know, they've got, you know, the advantage of, you know, millennia of extracting, you know, the meaning and of, and of the message mm. uh, of what's contained in the states, um, extracting ethical information, uh, you know, socially relevant information, mm. you know, rather than just, uh, you know, rather than just, you know, describing uh, within those states and, uh, you know, proposing you know mechanistic models. Hmm. Uh, you, uh, you know, so I you know, so that you know, so, that, uh, you know, so that, um, I then began you know looking at you know the different spiritual models as candidates or you know candidate spiritual models. Um, you know, um, I already uh, you know reviewed the you know shortcomings of the Buddhist model. Uh, well, well, the shamanic model is interesting, you know, because it does, you know, propose, you know, the reality uh, of the states and what's apprehended in them. Yeah. Uh, you know, but you know, they're non-theistic, or you know, they're polytheistic. They, you know, mostly, you know, uh, are interested in the spirits of mm. the plants or the spirits of, you know, nature, you know, rather than you know, the one god of the West, which I think is an important, you know, notion. Um, if any you know model is going you know to be getting you know, traction in the Western mind, um, well, also you know Latin American you know shamanism is uh, you know kind of it's it's um, you know kind of you know challenged ethically and you know, morally. Uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, spiritual you know warfare uh, which. Um, occurs in the world of the Latin American shaman. Mm. Well, you know, Stephen Beyer, you know, wrote a book, you know, called, you know, Singing to the Plants. Uh, it's all about ayahuasca shamanism. Okay. Mm. And uh, he, he's got an interesting, you know, concept in there, you know, which is, uh, you know, there are, uh, which, uh, you know, which is, you know, that there are, you know, good shamans, and there are, you know, bad shamans, but they're all bad shamans, you know, because um, if you're going to, you know, cure, you know, someone mm. of an illness, you, you know, their model is, you know, that those illnesses, you know, came about through the activity of a bad shaman, mm. you know, so if you cure somebody, you're going to be incurring the wrath of the bad shaman, you know, so it's just this, you know, constant battle, you know, okay. so even if you're a good shaman, you're still constantly at war with other shamans, you know, so it's kind of crazy. Mm. And I, I don't think, you know, if you look, you know, you know, deeply into that universe, it's going to be getting much, you know, traction in a, you know, uh, educated, you know, Western, uh, you know, kind of milieu. Mm. Uh, you know, so, you know, then I, you know, you know, so then through a, you know, number of, you know, circumstances, I was led, you know, back to the Hebrew Bible, or uh, the Old Testament, you know, one of those, you know, factors, you know, was I was, you know, kind of excommunicated by my Buddhist community, you yeah. know, because I was writing about the relationship between, you know, Zen 
you know, practice and, you know, taking, you know, psychedelic drugs, you know, which is, you know, one of Buddhism's, you know, dirty little secrets in the West anyway, is, you know, that the you know vast majority of the Western, you know, teachers of, you know, Buddhism got their start on psychedelics. And, you know, some even, you know, continue taking them, you know, surreptitiously. You know, so, you know, the group I had been studying with was, you know, rather conservative. And even though, you know, all of you know their you know senior you know monks had gotten their first glance or you know glimpse of enlightenment on LSD. Hmm. At a certain point, they just weren't able, you know, to admit that hmm. uh, in a public forum. You know, so I did admit that in a public forum, or you know wanted you know on you know to discuss it, which you know didn't go over you know very well. So you know we had to part ways. But, you know, that gave me the, uh, you know, permission, as it were, to look back into my own, you know, tradition, which is, you know, Judaism. Mm. Um, and I started, you know, reading the Hebrew Bible or, or, or the Old Testament, mm. you know, for a couple of reasons. You know, you know, one was, you know, to kind of, uh, you know, go back to my roots. You know, but the other uh, was the, uh, you know, kind of, you know, niggling, you know, curiosity that, you know, perhaps you know, Judaism could, uh, you know, would be able, you know, uh, um, you know, to provide a more, you know, salient, you know, model for the DMT effect. Hmm. Hmm. I don't, I don't want to go too deeply into your new book because I hope the people will buy it and will just discover that for themselves. But I was wondering, uh, is, isn't that weird that, that we have this totally complex brain and this wonderful consciousness and at the same time, we have this drug, uh, which is naturally occurring in our bodies and, and, and numerous plants, which is altering the, the, the consciousness in significant ways. So I, I'm wondering, what, what, what are your thoughts about this? What is the, the evolutionary purpose for this development? Why, why this design? Um, well, you know, when it comes you know, to the cross-species presence of DMT, um, I, you know, like to, you know, think of the possibility of DMT as being um, a, you know, common, you know, language which is, you know, shared by all organisms which contain it, you know, kind of a spiritual Esperanto, um, as it were, like a universal language, a, you know, Catholic language. Uh, you know, so when, you know, people describe being able to relate to animals, or certain plants or trees when they're on DMT, uh, or even other psychedelics, which may ultimately be you know, mediated by you know DMT as well. Hmm. You know, there could be some cross-species you know communication, which you know, which is uh, taking place you know through the bridge of of you know DMT. Hmm. Uh, you know why you know things are uh, you know why I. Uh, well, so why, you know, things are, uh, uh, you know, designed that way, um, you know, um, is obviously a, a huge question, and I think it depends on your worldview, mm. uh, your spiritual view, your, uh, you, your uh, epistemological view, you know, mm. kind of, uh, you know, how you know things. Mm. Um, the, well, the way that I've, you know, kind of answered the question, you know, for myself, you know, using the lens of, you know, Jewish, you know, philosophy and religion is, you know, that it was 
Well, well, the DMT is in the human body, placed there hmm. by divinity, which, you know, um, which desires us, you know, to be able, you know, to relate and communicate with it. Hmm. You know, so I think in the case of the prophetic state, anyway, uh, you know, the DMT you know, provides some, you know, perceptible, you know, form to usually imperceptible, uh, you know, processes or information. Hmm. Um, otherwise, we wouldn't be able to see it or to hear it or to feel it. Uh, and, you know, DMT um, you know, provides a, you know, biological, you know, mechanistic, you know, clothing or, you know, form that, hmm. uh, you know, kind of enwraps hmm. usually imperceptible information. Hmm. You know, so um, I think it's there in order to provide access which we can apprehend mm. of information or of you know processes which are you know normally invisible or imperceptible, mm. Mm. incomprehensible. Certainly, you know, system theory, radical constructivism, the theories of Maturana and Varela, uh, a Buddhist, by the way, and uh, uh, Nicholas Luhmann, and uh, the, the whole theory about how, how consciousness and the nervous system is constructing its own reality in a way, so that we don't have a direct access to, to this physical world, uh, but that our brains and our consciousness are creating their own subjective realities. And I wondered if, if the evolutionary purpose of DMT is to show, in a way, that these are actually constructed realities, um, that those things that we believe as solid and real are not as real when you, uh, when you experience dream states, when you experience lucid dreaming or near-death experience or, or DMT for that matter, so that you realize, okay, this is, this is one state of mind, these, these physical reality, but there are maybe different states with uh, alternative uh, uh, states of of the world, so I wondered if if this is an evolutionary purpose uh, of of DMT that we are more aware of the constructedness of of reality. Um, well, I think it's true uh, that you know DMT's you know presence in our bodies and our brains calls into question a lot of the you know, reality or the objective nature of you know what we interact with out there and in here you know there's a you know couple of you know scientific you know nuggets which uh, you know support um, an important role of DMT uh, in you know consciousness and you and uh, you know visual uh, and you know visual you know perception as well mm. um, you know in uh, the 1970s I think it was the you know 1970s uh, um, you know, there was a uh, you know research group <clears throat> in Japan which established that you know DMT is transported into the brain across the blood-brain you know barrier using energy, mm -hmm. um, and only a very small number of you know compounds are treated that way by the brain. Uh, you know, ones which are you know, which are required for normal brain function. You know, such as you know blood sugar and certain amino acids that the brain is unable to make on its own for protein synthesis. 
you know, so it you know, seems as if you know DMT is required for normal brain function, hmm. uh, and you know, normal brain you know function means you know normal consciousness, and it you know may be that you know DMT you know serves as a kind of reality thermostat, like a narrow window is required for the maintenance of everyday. Uh, uh, you know, perceptual and you know, cognitive and emotional, you know, homeostasis. Hmm. Um, you know, more recently, um, there was a group in you know, Madison, Wisconsin, which you know demonstrated that the act, which the activity of the gene and, and the enzyme that it you know produces are quite active in the retina of the primate of um, of the rhesus monkey. Yeah. You know, so that also uh, points, you know, towards an important, you know, role of, you know, DMT in consciousness, in and in this case specifically, you know, visual consciousness. Mm. You know, so it, you know, makes you, you know, wonder about the constructed, you know, nature of, you know, general consciousness and of, you know, visual, uh, you know, consciousness. You know, but then it starts, you know, to become, you know, solipsistic or recursive or, you know, tautological or, you know, some, you know, philosophical term, you know, because, you know, like I've speculated about, you know, DMT being kind of naturally occurring, you know, matrix, you know, you know, like an, you know, like an end, you know, like an end matrix as opposed to the externally Imposed, you know, matrix of the movie, you know, trilogy. Okay. Mm. It's an internally, you know, generated, you know, matrix which, mm. uh, you know, constructs all of this. And you know, uh, you know, there's the blue pill and the red pill, right? You mm. take the red pill, mm. and uh, you understand what's going on. Mm. And the blue pill, you know, keeps you in the you know, EMP mediated <laughs> matrix. Mm. But but still, that kind of you know begs the question. You know, like if you, you know, take the red pill and you, you know, find out what's really going on, you know, you know, what's to prevent there being a, you know, red pill in the universe, which the, which, you know, the red pill reveals to you, you know, so it can become, you know, kind of an endless, you know, spiral, you know, like, you know, when I first, you know, began, you know, wondering about, you know, well, you know, maybe this is all, you know, DMT hallucinations that we're living in, you know, 24-7. And if that were the case, would we live our lives any differently? Would the golden rule cease to exist? Would, you know, karma, you know, cause and effect, you know, cease to exist? Would there no longer be the need or the, you know, fact of envisioning or coming up with the notion of one God? Um, you know, with the ethical, you know, basis of our world change, uh, you know, the theological basis of our world change. And, uh, you know, I kind of answered that question to myself by saying, you know, no, you know, things would continue, you know, moving along in the same, in, in the same, you know, manner. Mm. We would still have to be nice to people. Of course, um, mm. We would still, you know, need to pray to, you know, something higher, mm. you know, so, you know, you know, even if, you know, this, you know, we're completely a constructed universe, I'm just not sure we would live our lives any differently. Mm. Um, you know, so it's interesting to speculate about, but uh, we have to be careful that, you know, that we don't, you know, let those ideas, you know, cause us to, you know, detour from 
the most important questions. No, 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 no. It, it wasn't meant that way. That uh, it wasn't meant in a solipsistic way that we are constructing the reality. But I, I was more thinking in the lines of uh, developmental theory, so that we get perspectives on how we uh, on how we think, on how we use narratives and perspectives and all the things. One one other thing I, I wanted to ask was there was like this this controversial figure Timothy Leary who was uh, first a, a Harvard psychologist and then he started to work with with LSD and later he developed uh, a model of the circuits of the human brain this eight circuit uh, model which resembles uh, pretty good lo those those development models we use today so and Leary proposed that humanity uses specific substances to turn specific stages on. For example, culture uses marijuana to turn the, the postmodern pluralistic, hedonistic stage of, of development. And that LSD, for example, turns on the, uh, what is it called in his words, uh, the metaprogramming, the construct aware stage of, of, of the human mind. So, and I wonder if, uh, if you in, in any way correlate DMT with, with stages of the human mind. Also, so not only states, but also stages, levels of, of development. Um, yeah, I think you can, you know, simplistically, you know, maybe from the point of view of, of you know, neurotransmitters, uh, you know, look upon, you know, the dopamine way of looking at the world and interacting with it and the, you know, serotonin way of dealing with the world and interacting with it, you know, perceiving it. You know, dopamine is the, you know, neurotransmitter which, you know, mediates the um, effects of speed, of stimulants, mm. you know, reward, mm. uh, you know, surges of energy, you know, focus, concentration, one-pointedness of attention, you know, getting things done as quickly and as, you know, uh, and as hard as you can. Mm. Um, and in a way, you know, caffeine, even though it, you know, doesn't stimulate, you know, dopamine, you know, per se, it still, um, you know, it still activates a number of, uh, you know, similar circuits as dopamine does. Mm. Uh, and, you know, in, in opposition or in balance or in, you know, contrast to that is the, the you know, serotonin, you know, model. Um, you know, serotonin is the neurotransmitter which is most um, involved in the you know, psychedelic state, okay. you know, psychedelic consciousness. Um, so it you know, could be, you know, that we're looking at, you know, uh, a, a, you know, tension or a, you know, dialectic, you know, between, you know, dopamine and, you know, serotonin, mm. you know, what's going to prevail or, you know, can they establish some kind of equilibrium, you know, with each other, you know, that you're not completely, uh, you know, tripped out all the time, but you're not completely, you know, buzzed all the time either, mm. um, you know, some, you know, kind of modulation or, you know, mediation uh, between the two. You, you know, there's alcohol as well, uh, or, you know, benzodiazepines, which are the more, you know, sedating, mm. um, you know, kind of compounds, which, you know, work on GABA, you know, G-A-B-A, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, gamma amino butyric acid. Well, well, there used to be a you know great you know chemist out there named Alexander Shulgin. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know he uh you know, and you know he liked you know to divide 
you know, on the drugs into stars and ups and downs, you know, you know, like an up arrow, of course, and mm. a, you know, down arrow mm. and a, and a star, you know, so the uppers, you know, where the stimulants, you know, the down arrows, you know, where the sedatives and alcohol mm. and the stars were the psychedelics, uh, you know, so it, you know, could be, um, you know, that each of them has got a place within the neuro, you know, transmitter, uh, you know, milieu mm. of the brain as well, mm. you know, you know, not necessarily, uh, external, uh, 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 ex, 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 uh, you know, um, you know, well, so not necessarily external chemicals, you know, that you take in from the outside. Mm. So, but you you wouldn't say that you um, that you can use LSD or, or or DMT for that matter to to turn on higher stages of development. You w wouldn't go that far. Um, well, there are different stages of development. You know, I think it's important to not you know you know gild the lily when it comes to the psychedelics. Mm. Um, you know, psychedelics, you know, have been used for all kinds of, you know, nefarious, you know, purposes over, you know, the millennia. Mm. Um, you know, uh, well, you know, historically, and I've seen plenty of, you know, cases where uh, the, uh, where the, where the, you know, psychedelic, uh, um, you know where the you know um, where the um, you know psychedelic you know drug effects are abused mm. um, either you know by the individual you know taking them or they're abused in an you know or they're abused in the you know context of interpersonal relationships. Mm. Um, you know I've seen you know people use you know psychedelics you know to you know to inflict all kinds of emotional, spiritual, you know, psychological, you know, verbal abuse on other people. Mm. You know, so I, you know, think of the you know, psychedelics as, you know, psychedelics, you know, they're, they're you know, mind, you know, manifesting. Mm. Um, you know, so if you're a, you know, sadistic individual and you mm. take, you know, psychedelics, you know, the chances are you'll be a, you know, psychedelicized, you know, sadist. You know, I don't think automatically you're going to become a kinder, more gentle person. Okay. Mm. You know, that could happen, but if you're a you know, sadist, you can also get insights which might, you know, moderate your, uh, you know, darker impulses through mm. alcohol or through sedatives or through marijuana or through even stimulants. Mm. Um, you know, I think there are tendencies for certain drugs to have certain effects, but I don't think you can describe them in a blanket way as good okay. or bad or neutral. Um, mm. I love, you know, um, I like to, you know, think of these, you know, drugs as tools, mm. you know, like a hammer. I mean, you, you can build a house with a hammer. You can knock, you know, down a house, you know, with a hammer. Mm. Um, I think it's important to uh, keep in well, well to keep in you know mind the you know concept of the set and mm. the setting and you know the intent mm. you know, behind the use of the drugs. You know that's why I'm uncomfortable with using the term of entheogen. You know because it assumes the belief in a spiritual level of reality okay. mm. and a 
particular state of you know consciousness which mm. either you know people don't believe in or the state you know never you know comes to pass i think mm. the psychedelic as you know manifesting mind uh is much more generic and all inclusive and it you know takes into account you know both the good responses to you know psychedelics you know the expanding ones you know the higher you know level ones you know the mm. mind expanding or their you know you know consciousness expanding properties but i think it also takes into account you know the mind constricting or the making smaller of the mind which also can occur on psychedelics hmm i understand so, so supposedly uh, the, the the consummation of of dmt would be legal uh, for, for for whom would be that drug and and what what is the use of that finally what is the who should use the drug who could use the drug and and what would be the benefit um i still believe that there ought to be restrictions on dmt and other psychedelics um i don't think it's especially you know prudent to you know make them available to anyone mm. uh you know marijuana at least you know how it's you know you know normally used uh it you know you know can be dispensed uh, you know medically or you know recreationally with you know, certain guidelines mm. uh but i think you know the psychedelics are just you know you know they're just you know too destabilizing and you know too strong for um anybody you know to use any time in you know any set of circumstances mm. you know so um you know people are always going to use you know drugs underground but for you know public discourse you know the larger you know public arena you know the polity as it were um i you know think that there ought to remain you know regulations mm. um around the use the administration you know the taking of you know psychedelics mm. you know so that being said uh i i think you know there ought to be certain places where certain people could take certain uh, you know drugs um, under the you know supervision of uh, you know certain you know sitters mm. supervisors mm. um you, well the people ought to be screened carefully you know supervised you know carefully you know during mm. the uh experience you know prepared you know work on their intent Um, any you know, psychopathology that hmm. might be causing you know trouble you know, during this state, hmm. you know, and and you know they ought to be followed up you know quite carefully as well, and you know so that being said, there are a number of you know models or a number of intentions which hmm. could be, you know, uh, which could be you know fruitfully, you know, mined for the you know potentially uh, you know beneficial uh, effects of the psychedelics. Mm. Well, you know, for therapy, and mm. your know, therapy, you know, could extend to a number of conditions which are, you know, difficult to treat, uh, you know, like, you know, like the addictions. And, you know, that was, you know, one of the mainstays of the first, you know, wave of, you know, psychedelic, you know, drug mm. research in humans. You know, the use of LSD for alcoholism and, you know, for heroin abuse. Yeah. Uh, and mm. those those are being you know, replicated you know nowadays you know, mostly using psilocybin you know for alcoholism you know for tobacco use and you know for opiates um mm. you know for depression you know ketamine is you know useful you know for mm. depression 
uh, you know, people used LSD, you know, for depression back in the day, hmm. and it's being, and you know, ayahuasca is, you know, being, uh, is being studied, uh, you know, for depression as is, you know, psilocybin, um, you know, things like OCD, uh, um, you know, things like autism, uh, you, you know, kind of a hybrid between a spiritual, you know, use of these, you know, drugs and hmm. a you know, psychotherapeutic one is end of life, you know, treatment, you know, people who have a you know, terminal, you know, diagnosis or, you know, facing um, all, you know, kinds of issues. And these, you know, drugs were used, you know, previously to, you know, treat end of life hmm. anxiety and depression. And those studies are occurring again, you know, hmm. reappearing, um, you know, using, you know, present you know, methodologies and are also, uh, you know, quite promising. Um, you know, the spiritual use of these, you know, drugs like DMT uh, are being studied, especially, you know, psilocybin, but ayahuasca as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, there are obviously important questions regarding the relationship between brain function and consciousness, which were <coughs> begun kind of, you know, crudely, at, you know, during the first wave of studies, but... Uh, can be, you know, re, you know, or well, uh, uh, you know, can be, you know, redone mm. in a, you know, in a, you know, much more sophisticated way now with uh, the, you know, development of, you know, of, you know, brain imaging, mm. um, uh, you know, technologies out there. Mm. Um, you know, creativity as well. You know, there were some, you know, preliminary studies. Um, using psychedelics in, you know, normals, you know, uh, in order uh, to enhance, you know, creativity. You know, mm. those were some, you know, promising results which were never looked at or, you know, never followed up. Mm. Um, and uh, I think those kinds of studies are important. Mm. Um, you know, also, uh, you know, there is a, you know, well, well, there's an argument, you know, to be made for, you know, people being able to use these drugs purely for enjoyment, for pleasure, for enhancement of aesthetics. Mm. Um, but still, it you know can't be completely unbridled use. I think there ought to be some you know, safeguards in place. Mm. You know, which is the screening, the you know, preparation, you know, supervision, and you know, follow up. Mm. Uh, you know, so I think there's a huge you know gamut of, you know, human experience, which could, you know, possibly be hmm. enhanced, improved, augmented through the use of these, you know, substances. Hmm. Um, you know, so I think it's, you know, very interesting, you know, very exciting that, uh, you know, we're able, you know, to use these, you know, substances again hmm. uh, in a more, you know, public manner to, you know, publish to have conferences and meetings. Mm. Um, you know, you know to be you know to discuss their you know pros and their and you know their cons in a uh, more open-ended forum than you know, purely underground or um, in an ill <clears throat> or in an illegal context. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I guess it was Aldous Huxley who. who wrote the psychedelics. I, I don't know if he referred only to Ayahuasca and LSD or uh, also to DMT, that uh, elite group of artists and, and scientists um, should have the chance to 
to to work with them to tap as you say into the matrix and have some new insights in our mind and how the world works in a way I, I like that sentiment I like that thought yeah yeah, um, well, there are two, you know, models of, you know, giving psychedelics or, you know, or, you know, taking, you know, psychedelics, you know, that were in, you know, competition, you know, with each other. You know, one was the Aldous Huxley model, hmm. which was, you know, that, you know, the rich get richer, as it were, you know, the, you know, the more elite, sophisticated, you know, uneducated, artistic, spiritually inclined, you know, people, you know, should be the ones that have access you know, to these, you know, substances and the experiences uh -huh, of okay. the occasion, you know, because, you know, because, you know, they would be the most, you know, likely to, you know, make, you know, the most of uh, what they're shown, mm -hmm. you know, so that was, you know, uh, in, you know, in, you know, competition, you know, to Tim Leary's more egalitarian approach was, mm. you know, f you know, for everybody to, you know, you know, to tune in and, you know, turn on and, well, and to drop out, you know, and, you know, that was, you know, Ken Kesey's, you know, model as well, you know, you know, you know, kind of the, you know, West Coast equivalent of the egalitarian approach. And I think that there are, you know, arguments, you know, well, I believe, you know, that there are arguments, you know, to be made in I'm in support of and against, you know, both of those ideas. Mm. You know, for example, um, if they're, you know, completely freely available, you know, then uh, unstable people with a latent psychosis or what have you, you know, that abuse other drugs, you know, they might get into, you know, serious, you know, you know psychological, you you know, trouble um, as a result of, you know, taking psychedelics, you know, but on the other hand, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, people who might be able to, you know, take, you know, great advantage of mm. the, you know, psychedelic experience um, who would be exposed to these drugs who otherwise, mm. you know, would not be able to if, you know, one were limited, you know, by Huxley's view, you know, that only a small number of, you know, the cream of the cream ought to be able, you know, to take these substances. Oh, okay. Um, on, you know, the other hand, um, if, you know, the elite were the only, you know, people that were able, you know, to, you know, uh, you know, to, to, you know, be able, uh, uh, you know, you know, that were going to be able, you know, to have access, you know, to these drugs, it you know might be true that you know they would be able to you know make the most of their experiences, mm. but they wouldn't you know have the um, you know feedback you know that was necessary okay. mm. uh, you know to maintain a, a, you know humanistic or a, you know compassionate you know point of view. Mm. You know they would get you know so far removed you know from the common <laughs> man uh, as to cause you know you know potentially you know more harm than good. No. One uh, one one last question, more more out of personal curiosity. Uh, when when you did your studies in Santa Fe in New Mexico, 
um, was it near the, the, the Santa Fe Institute uh, of Complexity? No, what, uh, the, the Santa Fe Institute where they're, they're making this research about complexity and, and Stuart Kaufman comes to mind and, and all these people pair back. Is that is this the same complex? Is it near, was it near you? Or, or? Uh, well, so my studies took place at the University of New Mexico School of Medicine, mm. uh, which is in Albuquerque. Oh, okay. uh, it's mm. about an hour, you know, uh, you know, you know, from Santa Fe. Mm. Uh, well, you know, I, you know, vaguely remember that I contacted, you know, the Santa Fe Institute, um, and I asked them if they were interested in my mm. work, if they wanted, you know, to collaborate. Uh, mm. But, you know, I'm, I, you know, maybe you know, misremembering, you know, that I reached out to them or not, you know, okay. but I, you know, never, uh, spoke there and they, you know, never contacted mm. me. Mm. Yeah. You know, so, um, yeah, my studies, um, occurred, um, at the university in Albuquerque. Okay. Mm. Uh, because, because I think let's, uh, we all have to deal with complexity in, in, in uh, many ways. And, and, and in, in, in that state of DMT, you're, you're in a way confronted with a, with a unbearable, complexity and you have to make sense of it well new mexico is a very you know complex you know place mm. uh it's sparsely populated there's a lot mm. of you know creativity you know there's an interesting you know mix um of hispanic and anglo and uh you know native american uh, you know cultures which uh are always cross you know fertilizing each other mm. um you know it's a land of great you know natural beauty Mm. Um, you know, there's a lot of spiritual you know, centers, spiritual teachers. You know, there's a couple of of you know national you know laboratories here. It was mm. you know, the home of the atomic bomb. Mm. Uh, it was you know the poorest state in the union. Uh, you know, so it's an extremely you know complex uh, place. You know, I you know came to New Mexico to you know work at the university because ultimately I was interested in studying you know psychedelics mm. and. Uh, I figured that it was a you know libertarian state, you know libertarian university. Um, mm. As long as I didn't you know hurt anybody, mm. um, and kept my name out of the newspapers, that I would be able to you know uh, get this study off the ground, as opposed to a place with a lot more scrutiny, mm. you know, media uh, accessibility, um, mm. and. Uh, you know, concern for, you know, you know, political correctness. I um, figured if I did good science and kept, you know, my nose clean, as it were, that, you know, this would be a lot more, you know, likely place to get this you know, research off the ground than elsewhere. Oh, okay. And uh, that turned out to be the case. Yeah. So, Rick, thank you very much that you took the time to, to talk a little bit about um, your work and DMT and all that stuff. Your book, your new book is called uh, DMT and the Soul of Prophecy. It's, it was published, uh, I guess, uh, right. autumn, autumn last year, 2015. Uh, it, it was, um, it, it actually came out in 2014. So ah, 2014. It's been out about okay. you know, mm -hmm. two years now. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And I'm still, you know, looking for a German publisher. You know, my first DMT <laughs> book was, you know, published by A.T. Verlag. Uh, yeah, my first, you know, DMT book was, you know, published by A.T. Verlag yeah. in a German edition. So, uh, yeah. you know, if you know of any you know, German 
and publishers, for example, <laughs> yourself, uh, who, who might you know want to take on a German version, let me know. Mm -hmm. Thank you.